to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to go to verses 11 and 12 here in just a moment. You might put your finger on that passage and then go to uh, Genesis 15, not 15, I'm sorry, Genesis 18. So we're going to look at Hebrews 11 and Genesis 18 here in just a moment to talk about Sarah and uh, Sarah, the mother of Isaac and wife of Abraham and her faith. Uh, First... By way of introduction, let me wish once again every mother a happy Mother's Day. It's a great opportunity to celebrate mothers today, and that's why we're going to talk about Sarah here in just a moment. An article in Forbes asks, think you can put a price on motherhood? A yearly yearly survey by salary.com called the Annual Mom Salary Survey attempts to put a salary on the work of American mothers. First, they broke down motherly duties into the following 10 categories. Here are 10 categories. A daycare center teacher, CEO, psychologist, cook, housekeeper, a laundry machine operator, computer operator, facilities manager, a janitor, and van driver. Then they studied how many hours moms work in those categories and what the family would have to pay for outsourcing that duty. According to the 2012 survey, they determined the following. Now, this was 2012, so you have to raise it by about 20% inflation uh, since then, or whatever it's been. It's been a lot. The average stay-at-home mom should make an annual salary of $112,962 based on a 40-hour-per-week base pay plus 54.7 hours a week of overtime. So dads, we have to pay up, okay? Um, The average working mom should make an annual salary just for her mom role of $66,969 based on a 40 hours of mothering duties and 17.9 overtime hours per week. So there you have it, the annual mom's salary survey. The article concludes... The breadth of mom's responsibilities is beyond what most workers could ever experience day to day. Imagine if you had to attract and retain a candidate to fill this role. The great American psychologist, Dr. Phil, who I don't (laughs) regularly watch, but at one point I heard he said that that being a mom is like two full-time jobs or or something like that. It is 24-7, right? And we really did not need an article to tell us that, did we? We didn't really need the annual mom's salary survey to tell us that, did we? We really didn't need Dr. Phil to tell us that, did we? We know that a mother's work is never done. I remember thinking back to my mother and how she was always, always, always doing something. And then she had and has still such a caring heart. If I was sick or in need, her heart would break for me. To this day, she calls up checking on my kids, and she does work at a child care center. Just last night, she called, asking me to be in prayer more for my brother who's fighting cancer. And then there is my dad's mom, who died at 66 years old. She stayed with us, and uh, my mother eagerly cared for her after she had her hip replacement and then another, a number of other difficulties. My dad was abused as a child. His brothers and sisters ran away from home. And my dad moved out at 16 years of age. Uh, Years later, my dad was 39, and his mother moved in with us when she had a hip replacement. 
His father had died when my dad was 31 years old. My grandmother recovered from the hip replacement quite well, but during that time, we, we grew closer to her, and she would stay with us, oftentimes when it was really hot outside because she didn't have good air conditioning, or sometimes in you know, bad snow, and she would come and stay with us. And there was one particular time when my uh, parents were out, for dinner or something. And my grandmother was with us. I think I was in seventh or eighth grade at that point. And my youngest brother did something uh, bad while my parents were gone. Uh, my parents got home and I don't think my grandmother spilled the beans. I think it was us that quickly told my parents of what my younger brother did. And my dad administered discipline in the form of a spanking. And during that time, I looked out in our back patio and I saw my dad's mother, my grandmother, with tears in her eyes. Amazing, right? Mothers and grandmothers, they care. They care. And God has given them this love that even as they have their kids grown and then they got their grandkids or even great-grandchildren, their hearts still break, even when there's discipline that needs to happen. I want to talk about Sarah today. Sarah was Abraham's wife and the mother of Ishmael and Isaac. But later she became the mother of nations. She became the mother of Christianity, really. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 10 through 12 tells us that because of Sarah's great faith, she became the mother of nations. She is listed in the hall of faith. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith chapter. It's a wonderful, amazing uh, chapter. And so my emphasis today is the influence of a mother's faith. Sarah bore a son through a barren womb and influenced a nation and all nations. The influence of a mother's faith, Sarah bore a son through a barren womb and influenced a nation and all nations to this day. The application is trusting God with our children. God has great faithfulness, trusting God with our children. Mother's love is amazing. Have faith in God to watch over you and your children as Sarah did. Have faith in God to watch over you and your children as Sarah did. You never know what God will do through your children and your grandchildren. Let's read Hebrews 11, 11 through 12. By the way, we have fill in the blanks in the, in the bulletin. If you follow those, uh, there are two blanks right here in the passage in Hebrews 11, 11 through 12. And these are your first two blanks. So if you're OCD as I am, uh, making sure you don't miss a blank. The first one, are, uh, two are received and descendants right here in this passage. So let's read it. Hebrews 11, 11 through 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. By faith, Sarah herself received power. And it goes on there. Now let's jump back to Genesis 18, verses 9 through 15. And if you look at that passage, we see a snippet, a snapshot of Sarah and her doubt and laughter. Genesis 18, 9 through 15. They said to him, that's they are two angels in God actually talking to Abraham. They said to him, that's Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. 
Now imagine Sarah right here. You gotta use your imagination. Imagine Abraham talking to these three visitors, which turn out to be two angels and God, possibly a pre-incarnate Jesus. Uh, I would probably believe that actually, pre-incarnate Jesus. Two angels and Jesus there talking to Abraham and Sarah is in the tent. And Sarah's kind of listening though. She's listening. What's going on outside the tent? She's listening, okay? And um, she's like 89 years old. So uh, she's uh, not necessarily a young woman right there, but she's listening. And so she, at that age, you're allowed to do that, okay? You're allowed to eavesdrop and, and do things like that, especially when they're talking about you having a child. So um, she's in the tent, verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Verse 11. Now, Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child? Now that I am old. Now remember, it said she laughed to herself. And of course, the Lord knows our thoughts. The Lord knows all things. So the Lord knew that she, she had kind of laughed internally. And then verse 14, this is an awesome verse. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15, but Sarah denied it, saying, I love this, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But the Lord said, no, but you did laugh. So we see what's going on right there, and we see, and we will see, she did eventually have a child. That child was Isaac. And she eventually became the mother of nations, and she eventually was listed in that Hall of Faith passage, Hebrews 11, 11 through 12. You know, we all must trust God with our children and grandchildren as Sarah did. We all must trust God with our life as Sarah did. You and I may read this, and it appears that Sarah did not trust God with her womb. Sarah had already been told that she will be a mother. This was not, this was not new news for Abraham or Sarah. And in this passage, there are two angels in God talking with Abraham. I've already mentioned that. And we find out in verses one through, we find this out in verses one through nine. So if you put it in context and you read the whole passage, you find out in verses one through nine, two angels and God talking with, uh, talking with Abraham. And if you go back to Genesis 12, Genesis 12, we read that Abraham was to be the father of nations. Now, Abraham and Sarah, had to, they did not doubt that they were to be the father and mother of nations, their doubt was that it was going to be through her womb. That was really the laughter. In the previous chapter, they tried to take matters into their own hands, actually the previous two chapters, by having Abraham uh, have relations with um, Hagar. And you know what's interesting? In Genesis seventeen seventeen, we find out, though, that this was to happen through Sarah's womb. She was to literally biologically be the mother of nations. Sarah, being 90 years old, was to have a child. You know, interestingly enough, though, in the previous chapter, Genesis 17, 17, Abraham also laughed. And they laughed in doubt. But we can look ahead and see that Sarah's child was born. 
If you look just a few chapters ahead in Genesis 21, verse 2, she gave birth at 90 years old to Isaac, and they named him Isaac. You know why they named him Isaac? Because Isaac means laughter. This was somewhere around 2000 B.C., then when the New Testament letter of Hebrews, which we read first, was written about 2,000 years later, Sarah was remembered for her faith. Though she laughed, she ultimately did trust God. And though she laughed, she ultimately did trust God and she did follow through and she did, you know, bear Isaac. I do not want to talk about trusting God that you're going to have a child at 90 years old. If you've had that revelation from God, by all means, trust him and I will pray for you. Because I know what it's like to have children when, as a father, not as a mother, but when you're in your 30s, I cannot imagine when you're in your 90s. I imagine that Sarah at 90 years old and Abram at 100 years old uh, chasing a toddler around. Then Abraham would have been about 116 years old, 116 years old, teaching Isaac to drive a camel to get his temporary driving permit, right? (laughs) Sarah would have been staying up late at the age of 106 years old while Isaac is out with friends. I wonder if Isaac would have had a curfew. Of course... They say that your children grow up quickly, right? They say that children grow up quick. And, and I'm realizing that. I read of one mom several years ago who said that she heard that her children would grow up quick. And she thought, I smell like spit up right now. But then she said, when I saw my daughter walk out of her room at 17 years old with car keys in her hand, I realized that to be the case, that to be true. I wonder if Sarah thought that way. Isaac was 37 years old when his mother died. I wonder if Sarah had days when she told Isaac, just wait till your father gets home. (laughs) I read of the first President Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush, that she had to, Barbara Bush had to call him when he was at work and the kids were young. And they had hit a baseball and the baseball had knocked out a second story window. And she called George Herbert Walker Bush and she said, uh, one of the sons, Jeb or George or one of them, I think there's others too, uh, had hit the baseball through the second story window. And George Sr.'s reaction was, second story window? What a hit. <laughs> I wonder if Abram and Sarah had to deal with those types of things. And of course, they were human. And they would have dealt with the typical issues of child uh, rearing, though different for their day and age, Right. You know, get this, Sarah had watched everyone else raise children, and now it was her turn. And, and verse 14 says, and this is another blank in your, in your bulletin insert, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? No, nothing is impossible with the Lord. There is something very similar said by the angel talking to uh, Jesus' mother later in Luke chapter 1. How are we doing with trusting the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? How are we doing with trusting the Lord? How are we doing with trusting the Lord with our children, maybe grandchildren or others, with our lives on a day-to-day basis? How about even after they are grown? I was 19 years old. My parents were taking me to college, and, and I was going some eight hours away to college in Georgia. 
We were at a restaurant when my, uh, we were at a restaurant when my mom retreated to the restroom, I think to cry because it was the first time taking one of her children that far away to stay. I wonder if Sarah had moments like that. I wonder if she had moments in which she had to let go. Had to let go. You see, on a Mother's Day, I can talk about a mother's love. And I mentioned that with the example of my mother and grandmother. However, I think it is a mother's love that compels them to care so well for their children. That no matter how old they are, sleep is not the same. No matter how old they are, they're still thinking about care and concern for their children and later grandchildren. In that manner, we are best to remember that God's faithfulness is unending. That's another blank in your insert. You can fill in that blank. You get points if you get all the blanks filled in. Come and see me and I'll be glad to give you the reward of praying with you. Um, God's faithfulness is unending and we must trust him who can do all things with our children. God's faithfulness is unending and we must trust him who can do all things with our children. Megan and I tear up with the thought of walking our daughter down the aisle on a wedding day, but that's a common station in life which we will face. I honestly don't know how parents deal with the real struggles of sickness, hardship, and even the loss of a child. The only thing I can say is that Sarah had great faith, and so must we, for God has great faithfulness. God is faithful. We can trust him. Here's some scripture about God's faithfulness. Psalm 89, one through two and the rest of that Psalm are all about God's faithfulness. Psalm 91, one through four compares God's faithfulness to an eagle sheltering us under his wings. Psalm 100 verse five is about God's faithfulness. Psalm 108 verse four, God's faithfulness reaches to the skies. Psalm 143, one. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Those are two of the blanks in your bulletin. For those of you who have been through those trials, real hard trials with children, my prayers are with you, and I know that I could be educated by you. The other thought about trusting God's faithfulness with our children is we never know what God is going to do. We don't know who our children will end up to grow up to be, do we? We don't know yet how God is going to redeem that. God can take a terrible, most difficult situation and turn it around and use it for good. Certainly for Christians, we always have hope. God always redeems our pain and suffering, either in this life or the next. Sarah was told that she would be the mother of nations. And here we are talking about her. She had to wait till she was 90. But God's promise was fulfilled. How do we have faith? How do we trust God? The the first is simple, but not so simple and cliche, but not really. Pray. Pray and talk to God. Read the Psalms and pray the Psalms. In the Psalms, we see the writers of the Psalms just pouring out their hearts to the Lord, talking honestly to the Lord. And we can do the same. Go to, go to the Bible and just read the scriptures about faithfulness. I just gave you some of them. Talk with a small group or prayer partner or 
teacher or pastor, myself, I would be glad to talk with you. Talk with a Christian counselor. We're here to support you. We're hoping to start more small groups. We have a couple. We're, we're hoping to start more small groups at Bethel this fall. Those small groups, those Christians coming together, praying together, supporting one another, encouraging one another, that is so important as we grow spiritually and go through the trials of life. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We're strong, we unite together in prayer and support one another. I can also recommend certain other books and resources and counselors. We need to know that our God is faithful. Sarah had faith trusting Almighty God, and God was and is faithful. We'll come back to her in a minute. I talked about my grandmother, my father's mother, with tears in her eyes when my brother was punished. A few years later, she went into the hospital. She had a quadruple heart bypass. And when she had to go in for this bypass, my dad sat us down. I was in, I think, uh, 10th grade at the time. And when she was going to have that, my dad said, there's a high risk of a blood clot in the first few days. Well, she made it through the first few days, and then she had some other issues. And they put in a pacemaker, and that went okay. And then she was going to be coming home, and she was going to be living with us for, as she recovered. And we were getting things ready. My dad picked me up from work. I was 16, I had a job at the time. Came home, we were, and we were getting things ready. We were getting a bed out where she could stay and all that stuff, and my parents got called to the hospital. She was walking with the nurse, and she was talking about how she couldn't wait to get home and see her cat, and she had a blood clot. And they worked on her for several hours, but she ended up passing away at that time. My parents came home that night. My dad was driving me to work the next day. And my dad said to me, he said, I don't know if you've noticed, but my mother's death has been really, really hard on me. He said, my dad beat me as a child and abused my brothers. But over the last few years, I've noticed that my mom regretted that. And that time where my grandmother stayed with us, it was a renewal and not that it need renewed. My dad always took care of his mom, always fixed the plumbing and the car and the house and always watched over. But that close emotional relationship was bonded even closer. It was the only time that I saw my dad choke up with tears. And that's the influence of a mother. In Genesis 23, verse one, we read that Sarah died at the age of 127 years old. I would imagine that Isaac and Ishmael, especially Isaac, because Ishmael would be a stepson, both wept at the death of Sarah. However, however, because of Sarah, we have Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Because of Sarah... We have the descendants that became the Jewish people. And because of Sarah, we also have Christianity. Because one of her descendants was Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the anointed one. One of her descendants was Jesus, whose name means God saves. One of her descendants was Jesus, who went to the cross in your place, in my place, in the world's place, and became the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. One of our descendants, Jesus, went to the cross and rose again. 
after taking our hell, after dying in our place, after taking the wrath of God in our place. And because of that, later the New Testament teaches Gentiles, which would be non-Jews, are grafted in to the covenant, are also people of the covenant, are grafted in. So Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. She literally is the mother of nations, of all those who put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, which leads me to this question. Have you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you committed to him as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him? Are you in a relationship with him? Some of you have heard this before, but it bears repeating again. The Bible can be summed up with the acronym that spells gospel. God created us to be with him. We see that in Genesis chapters one through two. God created us to be in a relationship with him. But our sins, they separate us from God. We see that in Genesis three. When we sin, we sin against a holy, righteous God. And that creates a separation between us and God because God's standard is holiness and one sin separates us from him. Sins cannot be removed by good works. We see that in Genesis four through Malachi four. The whole rest of the Old Testament is showing that, our, that, that good works do not cover our sins. God does remember our good works, but we still have that sin to take care of. And that creates a dilemma because God loves us. God wants a relationship with us. God wants a relationship with you, with every one of us. But our sins are causing a barrier. Our sins are causing a, a canyon. Our sins are causing a separation. And God took action. The P in the acronym gospel, paying the price for our sins. Jesus died and rose again. He died in your place. And then the E, everyone who trusts in Jesus alone shall inherit everlasting life. And the L, life that's eternal means we will be with Jesus forever. Please bow your heads and close your eyes in a state of prayer. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered to him? The Bible uses four action words, action words. Confess, believe, trust, commit. That describes our commitment to him. We're called to confess we are sinners in need of his Savior. That means we repent of our sins. We're called to believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. Believe that he died in the cross for our sins and rose again. We're called to trust in him and commit to him. Have you done that? God does not have grandchildren. That means you do not automatically become a Christian because your parents are. We all at one point need to turn our life over to Jesus. Confess, believe, trust, and commit. If you're unsure of that, please pray with me right now to commit to him. The prayer is not a magical formula. What matters is what's in your heart. But I encourage you to pray telling Jesus you want to turn your life over to him. Pray something like this. Again, if you are unsure of your salvation and the Holy Spirit's convicting you to turn your life over to him, pray something like this to him. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Today, Lord, I am trusting in you as my Lord and Savior. And I am committing my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, please share it with someone today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. And you know why? Because God wants a relationship with you. Also, 
before they lead this closing song. Maybe you're sitting here and you have more questions about the faith. I would love to sit down and talk with you. Even if you're a non-believer, maybe you're even a skeptic and antagonistic to the Christian faith. Those, I love talking about those types of subjects, answers about Christianity. And I would love to sit down and talk with you. I'm not gonna try to coerce you. Believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior must be a decision you make to receive him. I can't make you do that. It wouldn't be genuine. I would love to talk to you. As the praise team leads this closing song, uh, the altars are open and we just love to pray with you. If God has laid anything in your heart, if you have anything just burdening you, we just love to pray with you and pray for you. Thank you.